the reason I'm a Christian is because I heard the voice of God. The reason I'm a pastor and in vocational ministry is because I heard the voice of God. The reason I'm married to Jessica Dagg is because I heard the voice of God. And the reason that we're in uh, this sanctuary here called Harvest Point Methodist Church is because I heard the voice of God. Our lectionary readings this morning, all four of these pericopes, which we didn't read the New Testament reading today in this service, all of them have to do with hearing the call of God. And, and so I just want to take a few minutes to sort of peruse the scripture verses that we have spoken to one another and that has been spoken to us already this morning. And then draw some conclusions about that for our own life and get ready so that he can speak to us. So when we jump in and take this little tour here, we land in 1 Samuel, which, you know, we, we just did a series on Samuel. So... We kind of, you should be somewhat of an expert a little bit about that book. Maybe not an expert, but uh, at least you'll be familiar uh, with the book of Samuel. And, and you know that Samuel 3, 1 Samuel 3, is Samuel's own call. A call to God. And as you look here at the words, if you want to turn to 1 Samuel, just do that. And, and we'll take a little tour in our Bible, and there should be some Bibles there with you. And if you're at home, I would suggest you do the same thing. It, it, it is most helpful to actually see the text here. And uh, it says this, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. So he's already ministering, and he's already in the presence of God. Let's get that established. And then it says, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And there was no frequent vision. And you know, that's not unlike our own day, where the Bible is readily accessible. I mean, you can pick up your phone right now and, and probably find 20 translations, including the original languages. And there seems to be, as we say, a church on every corner. That doesn't mean they're full. And really, there's not one on every corner. If everybody wanted to go to church, by the way, today that lives in this area, there'd be no room for them. That's the statistic. That's the reality. So we say it's on every corner, but really, we're not even close. We're not even close, much less how many people are actually going, which the latest statistic is one in five people in America regularly go to church. So that's where we are. We're living in a time where the light of Christ seems to be diminishing, where it seems as if, if you've watched the news at all, and I don't know unless you've had your head in a hole, how you can not hear some of the stuff that's been going down but there's a lot of darkness in our world. There's darkness in America. It seems as if the shadow of evil has been creeping in and winning. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Notice, we need two things that the Bible regularly says are hard for us. That is, the voice of the Lord. We need to hear the voice of the Lord, but we also need to see the path of God. Do you see both those things there? 
hearing the voice of the Lord or the word of the Lord, but also seeing the path of God or God himself. And so here they were lying down. And notice in verse 2, Eli is, quote, lying down in his own place. All right, and, and sleeping typically is not a time where you can listen or see very well, right? Everybody with me? Uh, if you want to tell me something, that's probably not the right time to do it, right? Uh, and so notice also Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord. Uh, so here he is literally in the temple of the Lord, which is to say the tabernacle at this time, if you remember. And, and so in between that, though, look at verse 3. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, this candle right here is called the Christ candle, and it's lit every single Sunday, and it burns throughout our entire service. And the reason why is because it represents for us symbolically the light of Christ, the lamp of God. Of God. And here, uh, the writer here of Samuel simply drops this in here and says, even though they're sleeping, even though the world looks like it's complete darkness has taken over and evil, even though all that's at stake and in the context and our condition, the light has not gone out. And let me just add to that, the light will never go out, friend. The light of Christ will not be extinguished. And that's why, even today, you, I, we've gathered in the name of Jesus Christ to receive from him his light. We don't have anything to give the world. Our opinions, our political positions, our kingdoms, that's not what the world needs, friend. What the world ultimately needs is the light and warmth of Jesus Christ. It's cold. We're living in cold days. We're living in dark days. And what the world needs is the light of Jesus Christ and people who have been warmed up by the Son of God to go out and hospitably invite and welcome them in from the cold. Invite them home. There's a lot of lost people. There's a lot of people lost. There's a lot of people deaf spiritually spiritually. And blind spiritually. Isn't that what Jesus comes even saying? He says, look, if you have ears to hear, what? Let him hear. If you have eyes to see, then see. Oh Lord, give us those ears. Give us those eyes. Well, our condition looks bleak. But the good news is the lamp has not gone out. And now, you know the story. God calls to Samuel three different times, doesn't he? And each time he, he, he actually misunderstands that it's God. He thinks it's Eli. So he jumps up, runs to Eli, back and forth. One, two, three. Finally, Eli says, listen, let me help you out here a little bit, big guy. This is God talking to you. Now you have to understand, Eli is not obeying God because his sons are abusing the women as they come into the temple. In other words, there was corruption in the sanctuary. And Eli wasn't doing anything about it. According to the Torah, he should have had killed his sons and had them removed. He did not. And yet, here we have an instance where an unholy man is helping someone hear from God. 
He is teaching Samuel. Even if he himself isn't in obedience to God, he's teaching Samuel to obey God. Now, there's a lesson there. (laughs) One that we may not want to hear. It's this. We can actually miss the voice of God in our life. We can miss it sometimes by not listening to others. We can misunderstand the voice of God too. That's why we're always discerning and seeking to understand his voice in our life. And so finally, the, I mean, you know, if Samuel's playing baseball, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out, right? But not here. God shows up on the fourth time that he calls to Samuel. Samuel, Samuel. And finally, what is the, the famous response that should be, well, it was the response that you just gave a moment ago. Speak for your servant hears. Here I am. Speak for your servant hears. Now that term here in Hebrew is Shema. And if you know what the Shema is, that's found in Deuteronomy 6, right? Hear, O Israel. So when, we, when, when Jews say the Shema, which they do every day, and Jesus would have every day, even to this day, they do. Right? They quote it every single day. It's part of their liturgy of life. It's hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall worship the Lord your God and love him with all your heart. You know that, right? Well, they would say it every day. It's, it's, a, it's a creed for them, Deuteronomy 6. But the reason it's called Shema is because when you say Shema, well, that's a Hebrew word. And it means to hear. Hear, O Israel. But it doesn't just mean to hear. It means to obey. It means to hear it and do it. In other words, you're not actually Shemaing. I don't know if that's right or not. <laughs> if you hear it and don't do it. Now, my children are experts at this. As I was when I was a child, as you were when you were a child, your parents say, clean that room. And you hear it, there's no way you don't. I even have Google to broadcast it. So I say it, and then I broadcast it. Right up there in their room. They hear it. Well, I go up there, and guess what? They haven't done it. So, so what, what do we all say as parents? Did you not hear me? We don't just say, did you not do it? We say, did you not hear me? Because what? If they heard, then what? You obey. You obey. You hear, you obey. Shema is to hear and obey. Notice Samuel's response. Here I am. Speak for your servant hears. Shema. I'm willing to listen and obey. Now, when we open our hand up to hear from God, when we open our ear up to hear from God, we already, in faith, have to be ready to do it. In other words, we don't come to God. Now, look, we do this. I do this. I say, Lord, we're headed to Disney World. Would you bless us? Would you help us? We tell God our plans and then tell him what to do. I not the way it works is it no lord direct our paths we say lord i've got this job so bless me instead of lord what would you have me do today who would you have me talk to today 
we should not direct our own paths. Instead, instead, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening and willing to obey. Now, you, you know the rest of the story. God gives Samuel a tough word, doesn't he? You remember? It's like, he's like, oh yeah, finally God is going to get to speak to me. And God says, yeah, you ready? Eli's going to die and so are his sons and his name is going to be removed. And so is his family. He won't be remembered. Not in the temple. Not as a good and holy man. Right? You know, next morning he was like, so what did, uh, what did God say to you? Ah, you know, <laughs> just a little something, you know. <laughs> if you don't tell me, Eli said, then it'll happen to you. And so he blurted it out and he carried bad news. Now, sometimes, sometimes when we open our hand to hear from the Lord, open our ears to hear from him, what he gives to us is bad news. Because always there's bad news before good news. You really can't have good news unless you realize your bad circumstance. Does that make sense? In other words, if, if somebody says to you, hey, you have an all-paid-for cardiac surgery. You're like, oh, <laughs> that's a weird gift. Thanks, I guess. Odd. But if you know your cardiac condition, well... It'd be a great blessing, wouldn't it? Too many of us live in abundance in ways that we never can really agree that Jesus' message is good news because we actually don't know our condition. We don't see that we're blind. We don't see that we're deaf. We don't see that we're lost. We don't see that we need a new heart. And so when we hear the good news, it doesn't sound good to us. Our Netflix and sports and everything else in life seem a lot better. But if we understand our condition, if we're able to see and hear truly, we know our state, and then, boy, Jesus sounds like good news. We need that. We need to recover that in our life. And the only way to cover that is regular confession. Regular confession of sin, which is what banded discipleship is all about. Well, as Justin already noted, Samuel is young. Many people think he's about 12 years old, which is reminiscent of the New Testament, isn't it? Jesus in the temple, again, with the word of God. And you know what? We should not discount our young people. They can hear from God. Samuel's not some unique case. God is wanting to speak. At five years old, I said yes to Jesus. Now, I didn't know theological stuff, and I didn't know much of the Bible at all, but I knew that I wanted Jesus. And that's all I knew. And that was enough at five. That was enough. Well, you heard the psalm reading. The psalm reading points us to this reality. God knows everything. He knows everything. <laughs> and if you actually study Psalm 139, which is one of my favorite all-time psalms, what you realize is it makes the psalmist a little nervous that God knows everything. Now, I'm just going to be real frank with you real quick. 
I think it's a great blessing that we can't read each other's minds. Anybody with me? Relationships are already hard enough. If I knew what you were thinking about me and you knew what I was thinking about you, boy, that'd make it really tough, wouldn't it? Then we'd realize we're all hypocrites and in need of help. Now, it's a great blessing that, that we can think things and then move on <laughs> or act a different way. But listen, the psalmist points this out. God knows your thoughts. We say in our liturgy, he knows the intentions and thoughts of our heart. You'd think mind, but heart is the control center. Heart is where the throne is. And he knows everything about you. And someone says, whoa. Even the stuff other people don't know? Even the stuff that's messed up? Yes. Even the stuff you're hiding? Yes, there's nothing hidden to him. Furthermore, he also is everywhere. He knows everything about you and knows everything in your head, but he also, there's nowhere you can go to escape him. You try to go into sin, darkness is his life to him. You go down to hell, Hades, what he says? No, there he is. You get on a rocket ship, go to the farthest planet, get out and say, whew, finally got away from God. Ah, there he is. He says, I go to sleep and the next morning I wake up and there you are. He feels a little claustrophobic with God. But his next response is helpful. Why do you know these things, God? Why are you allowed to know what's in my head? How do you know these things? He says, because he created you. In fact, <laughs> get this. In fact, before you formed my inward parts... You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you from fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now, as has been pointed out, this is sanctity of human life. That term sanctity means holy. That is, life is holy. It is not common. This, this podium... As much as I like it, and it came from the seminary, by the way, so it means a lot to me. If it were destroyed, that's different than one of my children being destroyed. We can replace things. You cannot replace people. Persons are holy because God says they're holy. And even before sonograms, the psalmist envisions in the womb God working his creation, and forming those that are still yet unformed. In other words, a person's a person no matter how small, even in the womb. Now, furthermore, the big question always is, when's a person a person, right? Well, it's really simple in the scripture. And it's really been said by you already this morning. You've confessed it with your mouth. Who do we look for as our example of humanity, but as the perfect person? It's Jesus, right? And what do we say in the creed? That he was just born of the Virgin Mary? No. 
Rather, the incarnation happens, what we call the hypostatic union of the divine nature and the human nature. That happens and creates the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, the Son of God assumes human nature. He already existed. But Jesus taking on that flesh happens at what point? At conception. He was what? Conceived by the Holy Spirit and then born of the Virgin Mary. So on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, let's be clear as Christians where life begins and what we should do to promote that and to help that because Jesus defines humanity. Nobody else. Because Paul says this way in Ephesians, doesn't he? (laughs) We are all predestined to be conformed to whose image? Jesus Christ. Why? Because as John 1 says, he was in the beginning with God. Right? That's right. God did not create Jesus. The Son of God took on flesh from Mary, human flesh, and became a human at the point of conception. What a story! What a story! I mean, listen, before all our scientific stuff that already confirms that what's in there has a different DNA. So one cannot say, oh, well, it's my body, I'll do what I want to. Well, I'm sorry, you have another body in your body. That's a scientific fact. Before all of that, the creed has been said for 2,000 years. The Apostles' Creed is one of the oldest creeds, and it affirms where life begins. Is that not cool? Anybody else think that's cool? Okay. You don't have to because I think it's cool. You're not up here, so. <laughs> what a wonderful creation. What a wonderful God. Who has already, so, so here's what the psalmist says. He's the creator. That's why he knows. But furthermore, he's also the author of life. Listen to the way he says it. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me. When as yet there were none of them. He's the author. Which is why then the psalmist says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't stop thinking about me, right? Because anybody ever tried to write a story? What happens if you have a character, maybe named Teddy, okay? And you stop writing and thinking about that character. It's over, right? Teddy's not showing up again. Something happened. The author forgot about him or, you know, he's out of the story, right? So, So Psalmist is like, oh, don't, if you're the author, don't stop thinking about me. And then he says something crazy. Your thoughts about me are so innumerable, it's like the sand on the seashore. What a thought that is, man. Have you ever been to, a, to the, right? You've been to the ocean. You, you just dot your hand, and there's 50 little granules, maybe more, of sand just on your, you look across. He thinks about us that much. I hope you believe that, because what it does is it raises your personhood, and the sanctity of everybody that's sitting around you. We don't treat people certain ways. We don't murder. We don't euthanize. We don't abort. Why? Why? Because life is holy to God. All right. Then Paul comes in in 1 Corinthians, and he says this simple message. 
And this, I mean, I'm going to skip around here a little bit. This is 1 Corinthians 6, which is one of our uh, lectionary readings that we didn't read. And I'm going to skip here, but notice, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now that term sexual immorality is the term in Greek, pornea. It's where we get our term for porn. And it just simply means any sexual immorality. That is before marriage, outside of marriage, it's all of it. Now listen, around our house, we have started having that talk. Everybody with me? <clears throat> we have to continually have that talk over and over again because some people forget and don't understand. That's all right. That's okay. That's the, way, that's the way it happens. But here's what we need to be clear on. The body is not made just to satisfy sexual impulses. The body is primarily for the Lord. Furthermore, verse 15, your bodies are members of Christ. Don't unite them to things unholy. And by the way, marriage is very holy. It's the premier example of our relationship to Christ. So the marriage is, just one second. The marriages in this church God cares about. And we as a church should be praying against the enemy getting into people's marriages. Would you do that? This week, would you pray for... Just look around the room real quick. Think about our congregation. Would you pray for marriages? Why does the enemy attack there? Because that's the one place he wants to show his holiness and show his glory and say, this is good. If he can break it apart, he knows he can break apart something big and important to God. And it is important to God. The Bible begins with a marriage and ends with a marriage and upholds uh, marriage all throughout. It's a holy institution. Notice in verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Why? Because we receive the Holy Spirit when we're joined to Christ, don't we? And guess who is the love between the Father and the Son but the Holy Spirit? You see, the Father loves the Son... Love is not some fourth part to God. Love is God's spirit. That's why John, in 1 John, can say, God is love. God does not just do love, act in love. He himself is agape, love. Verse 19, your body, now get this, you're going to love this. Your body is a temple. A sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. Now, our sanctuaries come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? But every single body that you've ever seen was intended to house the Holy Spirit. To be a sanctuary, a holy place, a temple of God. Everybody. What comes out next with Paul? You are not your own. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? In marriage, you're not your own. In singleness, you're not your own. You are the Lord's. 
We are to obey him, not our impulses. So, glorify God in your body. (laughs) That's, That's Paul's commendation there at the end. So, glorify God in your body. Right now, young people, you need to make a decision. Am I going to follow my own impulses, do my own thing, set the agenda, and set my own pathway? I want to say that all leads to destruction. Or am I going to, before the heat of the moment, before it ever married people as well, before the text ever comes in or the message on Facebook ever gets going, we need to decide, am I going to go my way or... Yahweh. There are no other ways. And if you've already gone down some of those paths, it's time to confess and repent and move on in restoration. And then finally we come to John and the passage that we read with the call of of Philip and Nathaniel. Now, I love this, and if you just uh, if you flip over there first, John 1, um, drop down to 43. Next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. Now, what does that tell you about the language here? Let's just do some inductive study real quick. What does that, if he found Philip, what does that mean about Jesus? He was looking for him. Do you think right now God... Jesus Christ could be looking for you. Where's Marshall? In the mornings, is he laid up, hitting snooze? Is he so busy with his day that he can't make room for me? He found Philip. I love that. And said to him, follow me. Now notice this. It's almost even better. Notice this. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. Which means again what? He was looking for him. Listen, this hits right here. When I preach, I'm preaching. You, Oh yeah, man, amen to that. You know what I mean? Are we looking to share Jesus with anybody? Do do we start our day off like that? Do we start our week off like that? Listen. If not, we need to repent. We should be looking to save those who are lost. Because guess who came doing that? Seeking to save those who were lost. Jesus did. So if we're following Jesus, then what does that mean for us? We seek those who are lost. And point them to Jesus, which is, exactly, which is exactly what Philip does here. Notice this. He finds Nathaniel, says to him, We found him of whom Moses and the law and prophets wrote. So what does he do? Immediately he hits, he hits Nathaniel where he knows he'll go, the Old Testament. And that's why Nathaniel then says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because he's actually read the Old Testament. He knows it should be Bethlehem. <laughs> And so he says, you sure about that? And what is the response? This is classic. It's something we ought to use in seeking those who are lost. What does he say to him? Come and see. Just come and see. 
Look, we can talk about this all day long. We can have, we can go back and forth about whether God exists or this and that. I mean, look, I, I love all those arguments. But you know what? I've never had someone convert because of my great argument. That's unfortunate to me, but it's just the truth. People convert to Jesus Christ because he calls them and they hear that call. That's why we have to say to them, when we have big days here at Harvest Point, when we have special events, we say, come and see. Just come on. Come on. Just see for yourself. See if he doesn't speak to you. And when our friends come like that, we should be praying that God would meet them here and they would hear him. It's not all up to me, friend. It's not all up to how good I'm going to preach. You can forget that. How good we're going to sing. How great the service is. Look, this, this place is looking great. It used to not look so great. Either way, we've met with God in both circumstances. In exile and at home. Philip says, I'm sorry, uh, Nathaniel says, how do you know me? <laughs> and we already know from Psalms how he knows. He's the creator. He's the author. And he invites us into his story. And so, I want to ask you this morning, are you in a position to hear his call? Remember Isaiah, right? Isaiah 6. Isaiah has to seek a vision of God, repent, and then he hears the voice of God, doesn't he? And what does the voice of God say? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us and who will I send? He only hears it after repenting, after receiving a vision from God. Now, Some of you have heard the word of God this morning. Some of you have heard the word of God for 20 years. But... What matters is that you hear and obey. Shema. Shema. We need to get in ready position to hear from him. You know what ready position is, right? Just like the saints are playing today. Okay? I need the center to be in ready position. Right? Not stand there like this. I'll kick the ball back to him. No, no, no. <laughs> Quarterback, right position. Receivers, right position. Right position, right? Are you in ready position to hear from God? What is ready position? It means that we're praying regularly. That you, even when you don't feel like it or feel like your prayers aren't just hitting the seat, you continue to believe and pray. And you're constantly searching the scriptures for his voice. You're thirsty to hear his voice. Furthermore, you're banding together with other believers to hear his voice. I get so much out of the small group that, that I'm a part of. I say I lead it. I really don't lead it. We all are taught by the Holy Spirit in that moment. And I learn so much, more than I would from, from other people, than I would in my own personal devotion. That doesn't mean I don't do personal devotion. It just means God meets us where two or three are gathered. We either believe that or we don't. And through circumstances. Through guiding us by his hand. 
We need his voice. We need a word from God. In days like this, we need a word from God. You need a word from God. I need a word from God. So just ask him. This week, every day, bug him. Wear him out with asking. Listen, my kids are experts at this. We're not watching shows this week. By Thursday, we're watching shows. Because they are relentless. Would you be relentless to hear the voice of God in your life? Don't you need it? I do. Every one of us do. We need His voice. I told you I wouldn't be a Christian if I had not heard the voice of God. And yet today, I need to hear His voice more than ever. So, let's pray as Samuel prayed. Here I am. Speak for your servant hears. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it be so. Amen.